This is episode 125 with the co-host of No Meat Athlete Radio, coach and finisher of multiple 100-mile ultramarathons, Mr. Doug Hay. Hey everyone, this is Jason, the head coach of Strength Running, and we are back for another episode all about improvement, progress, and how to get from point A to point B. My guest today is Doug Hay. He's the co-host of the podcast No Meat Athlete Radio with Matt Frazier, founder of RockCreekRunner.com, and someone who's fallen in love with running over the last decade. So much so that he now lives at the base of a mountain in North Carolina and spends his time trail running and competing in ultra marathons, trail races, and other adventures like fast packing and multi-day trail runs. I first met Doug way back in 2012 in Rock Creek Park in Washington, D.C. We met for a group trail run and have met up for a bunch more runs over the years. He's grown tremendously over this time into quite an accomplished ultra runner. But I'm not actually talking with Doug today to discuss his accomplishments. We're talking about how he got from a non-runner who signed up for a marathon on a whim after a couple beers to someone who can run more than the marathon distance nearly on a moment's notice. Our focus is on progress, on improvement, and on the training changes that allow you to get there. I also want to thank SteadyMD for sponsoring this episode. SteadyMD pairs you with a primary care doctor online who's available via phone, text, or video for all of your needs. And not just any doctor, but a fellow runner who understands the training process and can easily order you blood work, referrals for specialists, and more. Go to SteadyMD.com strengthrunning to learn more and reserve your spot. Okay, what we're going to do today is get a snapshot of where Doug is at right now, what he's capable of, what he can currently do, and then we'll compare that with about 8 to 10 years ago. Finally, we'll see how his incredible trajectory was even possible. Please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Doug Hay. Doug, thanks so much for chatting with me today. I'm excited to talk about your trajectory as an ultra runner over the last decade and what the rest of us can learn from that. Yeah, well, Jason, thanks so much for having me. It's uh it's great to talk again. We used to I feel like we used to talk way more often than we do these days and so it's nice to nice to be on the podcast. It's an honor and uh it's nice to hear your voice. Oh, thank you. And from one podcast host to another, it's always great talking to another podcast host. I, I think one of the reasons why we don't talk as much anymore is uh, we have kids now, and that certainly changes <laughs> the game, doesn't it? Oh my gosh! It uh, yeah, both like from work and hanging out with friends, but also of course running, like we're going to be talking about today. It's uh, kids are a game changer, no doubt about it. Yeah, they change pretty much everything about how you relate to running, relate to your work and your time. And anyway, we're not here to talk about kids. Uh, <laughs> we're here to talk about your running and how I, I have seen you over the last decade or so kind of just transform yourself from a beginner runner or, or an intermediate runner rather to someone who's fairly competitive over these longer distances. And you've run now how many 100 mile ultra marathons? I've run 400 mile ultra marathons and then ran over 100 miles in a 24 hour race. So that technically doesn't count as a 100 miler, but uh, I've covered the 100 mile distance five times. Incredible. 
And I would love to contrast where you're at today, and you kind of just talked a little bit about that, kind of your current capabilities, what you've done, with where you right. were at the beginning of your running career. So maybe we can start with what you're currently capable of doing today. When was your last ultra marathon? My last official sanctioned, sanctioned ultra was actually last summer. Um, and so it, I took all fall and winter pretty much off, uh, of, of any sort of racing and I have a race in a couple of weeks, my first race of the year, uh, and it's a 40 miler that kind of starts about a mile and a half from my house, um, which is pretty exciting. Uh, but that'll be the first one in a while. So, uh, it was, it's been last summer since I, my last hundred miler since the last time I uh, did an official sanctioned race. Yeah, and you you mentioned official sanctioned race. You you also just do crazy trail adventures and and fast packing. Talk a little bit more about that. Like have you done any longer than a marathon distance runs despite them not being sanctioned races? Yeah, you know, that's that's kind of been the big transformation. Uh, maybe maybe since having kids, but also just uh you know, I was racing at least six or seven times a year for, for a couple of years doing ultras every, every month or every other month. Um, and, and the amount of work that, you know, goes into the race and I, I love racing. I, you know, I think it's, I think it's, you know, I, I love racing, but, but the amount of kind of work that goes into a race where you're basically just, especially in ultras, you know, they might cram a hundred miles into a tiny little park where you're just kind of along the same trails, several times or you're doing an out and back a giant out and back and it just doesn't make a lot of sense when you like logically you know <laughs> to to be running in circles or to be running in these kind of weird like where you're crossing over the same trail several times um and as i was doing all these races and i was spending all this money to do the races and all that stuff i, I was just like you know what i love about ultra running is getting out into the mountains i love the adventure of it i love getting to secluded areas and racing is a lot of fun and i enjoy the competitive side of that but it's not feeding me as much as it used to. And so recently in the past few years, few years, I've shifted quite a bit to just going out, finding, you know, lines that make a lot of sense, going along a ridge for a while or doing a giant loop from my house that kind of links up a couple different parts of uh, different, you know, mountain ranges and, um, and making those big adventures and big days that, uh, that I can train for, you know, I'll build up to them. I'll taper just like I would a race. Um, but you know, when it's done, I don't, I don't get a, a, a medal or anything. I just feel like I had a really good day in the mountains. Yeah. For someone who likes just being out in the woods, in nature, just exploring trails and, and I'm the same way I would, I could just, you know, I, I think if I lived at the base of a trailhead in the mountains, I'd probably still be running 80, 90 miles a week because yeah. I, I would just have so much to explore. Um, how many how many of those have you done and and I mean like some of the longer ones in the last year or so oh uh i you know I couldn't even tell you how many I've done total, but in the last year, I've probably done i don't know five or six ultra distance weekend runs um or day runs, and the big one that I set out for that i, I you know I really trained quite a bit for and tapered and did everything properly for it was was in October and it was supposed to be about a hundred k distance is kind of running from it's it's a route called Pitchell. You run from the top of Mount Pisgah, which is one of the high peaks around here, to the top of Mount Mitchell, which is the highest peak east of the Mississippi. And it's all along a single trail that links up the two the two mountains, about 100k distance. And I did all this prep for it and just got really into it and 
and called it quits at 50k. I just for whatever reason, I just uh, I couldn't I couldn't do it that day and, and called it quits. So that was a pretty big disappointment. But um, you know, but aside from from that one, I've had some just really good maybe four or five in the last year, uh, really good one day adventures. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, it was a self-supported run. It wasn't a race, so you didn't get that dreaded right. DNF next to your name. <laughs> it felt like it, though. It sure it sure felt like it. As I uh, as I called my wife to, to come pick me up, <laughs> it sure <laughs> felt like a DNF. But um, no, you know, but it, it, what's, what's interesting is that, you know, as I transitioned from road marathons to trail races, um, you know, I was still very much in the in the kind of pace and the time, you know, how quickly can I do this course? How quickly can I finish a 50 K trying to get PRs at, at certain distances? I was still very much in that mindset. And, and over time, as I shifted towards uh, harder races that, you know, some of the hundred milers I've done have taken me 32 hours, you know, like that's not fast. People are running sub 12 hour, hundred milers on a track, you know, I mean, so 32 hours is not fast, but I was, but I was, I've always been attracted to these kind of burlier races. And, um, and as I was doing those, and, and I realized that time didn't really matter. It was the only reason to run the race, as opposed to a self-supportive adventure. Adventure was just the the support, basically, and kind of a little bit of infrastructure to make sure you were safe and that kind of thing, uh, which is important. But um, you know, once once I kind of let go of of time and place and all that kind of stuff, it I was more attracted to these kind of self-supported runs where um, I could I could pick my own route and I could link up things that just seemed really interesting that maybe you can't do on a race course because they cross over too many different, you know, park systems and, and you can't get permits for all that stuff. Um, and, and so that just became more and more attractive and it's, you know, the flexibility of, of kind of picking the weekend that you do it versus a race isn't, is not a bad thing when you have kids and you have other obligations. Yeah. It just sounds like uh, kind of an interesting thing. And, and I, want to wait a little bit until my kids are a little bit older. But now I think this summer that's coming up, I think I'm going to be able to do more runs like that. And, yeah. you know, I'd love to just, you know, spend a little bit more time out in the mountains here just because I have access to some yeah. of the best trail running in the country. You know, that's Absolutely. only 30, 45 minutes or, or maybe an hour away. So it's certainly an awesome opportunity. Um, so you've kind of painted this picture of, an accomplished ultra endurance athlete. I mean, you very regularly go run longer than the marathon distance. You do it in races, you do it as self-supported runs. Um, did you always know that you wanted to get into these longer trail races or, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier that you were doing a lot of road marathons. Was this always in the, the back of your mind or was it a natural evolution over time? No, it, it really wasn't. Uh, I've always liked backpacking. I've always loved kind of hiking and, you know, being out outside on, on trail. Um, but no, I, I started, uh, I kind of, I, I refer to, I ran two years of cross country in, in high school. Uh, and I referred that to kind of my like dipping the toe in the water phase where I, I really wasn't a, a competitive runner at all and, um, did it mostly because my parents wanted me to play a sport and that seemed, and some of my friends did it. So, you know, it was kind of a nice like camaraderie thing. Uh, but I, I did that my freshman and sophomore year of high school and just kind of, uh, I studied abroad in, in my junior year and then just kind of decided I didn't, wasn't really into running. Um, and, and that was pretty much it for all of college. You know, I never, I would go to the gym and I would 
never run or, you know, never run around. Even, even though I lived, you know, I went to college in, in the mountains. I never went trail running or anything like that. Um, it wasn't until a couple years after college, I was living in DC and, um, and a friend of mine, we were having some drinks one night and he was a bit of a runner and he kind of just convinced me to sign up for a marathon. And, um, and I did it and, you know, woke up the next morning and I was like, what, what did I just do? And I best I better start running. And, you know, it's kind of one of those stories. I feel like, I feel like a lot of people start that way, but, um, you know, and so then I just kind of started doing these three mile runs and, and what happened is I got super into the actual training, you know, the, the, having a training plan, having that structure, having the daily goal and the, and the routine, I just got super into that and fell in love with not so much the running at that time, but more of what it was, you know, who it was making me become kind of thing. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. And, you know, and like everybody's different, of course, but running sidewalks in a big city where you have to stop every single block until you can get down to, I mean, you, you know, you know, DC, uh, until you can get down to a parkway or something like that. Like, um, you know, it, it's not necessarily fun running. Um, at least it wasn't for me, but I just loved that experience of the training so much that, uh, I trained for that marathon, the, or Baltimore marathon, and then a couple, two different Marine Corps marathons. And, um, and was just really enjoying that. And that's, and during that period was when, uh, I read Born to Run, you know, did the whole thing that so many of us trail and ultra runners have done that are that are my age, uh, where, you know, you're, you start out running and then you read Born to Run and you're like, oh my gosh, 100 miles, that's impossible. Like, you know, how, how is that even possible? And, um, and I just caught the bug. I, I signed up for a 50K race in DC and, uh, and never really looked back. I mean, of course, I've done several different road marathons since then, but, um, you know, once I started once I signed up for that 50k and started kind of training on trails and, uh, and, and running ultra marathons, like that was it. That was, that was what was motivating for me. And, um, and that was the only type of training that I wanted to do. Yeah. And I think we met right around that time when you were in DC, I don't know if it was 2010 or 2011, somewhere around there, uh, kind of the beginning of, of when I started working on strength running. And, uh, I, I think you right. had, yeah. uh, a group run that you do once a week in Rock Creek Park, which is the big park in DC. One of the best training venues that I've ever had access to. I mean, you go run 20 miles totally. in there and never repeat anything. It was just great uh, to be like in a major city like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, Rock Creek Park was kind of like where you got introduced to trails, wasn't it? Totally. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, I was living in the heart of DC and, and so the only I mean, of course, there were trails in the suburbs and stuff, but really the only place to get on dirt was in this uh, strip of, of na national park that runs right through the middle of the city. And it was amazing. I'd, you know, I'd lived there for several years and never knew what was down there. And it just kind of opened my eyes to this forest inside the middle of the city and real, I mean, like legit trails. I mean, some of that stuff was pretty technical and challenging. Um, and uh, it just that's all I wanted to do was run those trails that, you know, every day it's, I got so excited to get out and just run those trails. And I think it was just feeding this part of me, you know, that was living in the city and all the noise and all the hustle and bustle. And then to be able to kind of get, you know, a half a mile away, get onto some dirt was just a, a real treat. And, um, and right. I started that group run. I, I started a blog Rock Creek runner, which uh, was really intended to just kind of spread the word about Rock Creek park and, and bring people, 
um, into onto those trails. And, um, yeah, that's how I fell in love with it. That's how I fell in love with trail running and, and that changed everything for me. Yeah. Rock Creek park is great because there's so much variety in the park that you can do almost anything. You can run on flat, well-groomed, wide horse trails. Mm -hmm. You can run on super technical, really hilly terrain, or you can run on the road, which there's a road that runs through the park too. And, and I think that just allows you to get in almost any kind of workout that you want to get in. It allows you to get in so much variety in your training if you're just in there doing a long run. And yeah, the fact that you were living in the city, but having access to this protected natural environment, it's, it's, you know, I, that just resonates with me so much because I'm exactly the same way. If I'm going for a run and I'm not doing any kind of formal workout, I want to be on the trails. It's more fun. It's better for you. And it, I feel like it's just more soothing to the soul to be surrounded by a bubbling brook and trees and nature rather than sidewalks and cars. Totally. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that if, if anyone's living in a city, you know, I know every city is different, but a lot of cities have these kind of these greenways and these, these places that, um, parks that have these hidden gems for trails and, or at least paved paths and stuff like that. And, and to be able to find that, you know, and just spend time on there is just, uh, totally worthwhile, even if you have to run out of your way to get there. Yeah, that's basically my running now in Denver. I, I run on a lot of parkways and there are a lot of parks in Denver, but but they're parks. They're not national parks or state parks. Uh, they're just city parks with, you know, very manicured kind of uh, an environment. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's not as, uh, you know, you're not in the woods like you are in Rock Creek Park, which I think is a, is a big difference. Um, right. Now, Doug, you mentioned running a, a bunch of road marathons, both kind of at this time when you were living in D.C., but then you said, you know, even after your first ultra, you ran a couple road marathons too. give us an idea of what kind of times you were running back then. Were you, you know, running? How fast were you running? I, yeah, I mean, not that fast. I mean, my my, my marathon PR is 330 something. Uh, I don't even know. Um you know, so I was not breaking any records, uh, and that that actually happened a couple of years after the whole ultra thing started. Um, but you know, my first, my very first marathon was like five and a half hours. My first Marine Corps was four fifteen or something. You know, it was a big deal for me to break four hours, uh, and then I kind of just chipped away to three thirty something uh, for my marathon PR. So you know, nowhere near the level that you're running, and probably a lot of the listeners here. But um, but you know, I mean, I was. I was like super happy with that. I felt like I was, um, you know, I was, I was training well and, and feeling strong. And, and, um, you know, for me, it was, it was always the distance that ended up kind of propelling me to calling me that was kind of motivating me. And that's, I think that's why after a couple marathons were under my belt and I feel like I felt like I had kind of certainly not conquered that distance, but, you know, grown comfortable with that distance than the 50 K seemed like a next logical step and then 50 miles and and so forth and so on. Yeah. You certainly didn't prioritize speed. And so, no. you know, we shouldn't expect you to have speedy finish times. Uh, but you know, the, the whole point of this episode is to talk about progress, to talk about improvement and, and how that happened over time. And so it almost doesn't matter what your absolute finish time might be. It's really about where you started at and and where you are today. And and I think it's also very telling that your marathon PR happened after you started training for ultra marathons. 
Definitely. Now. So, yeah. You know, maybe we can talk a little bit about that, you know, with your training for ultras, you know, how did that kind of new goal for you then change your training? Because I know a 50K isn't actually that much different from a training perspective as a right. marathon. So, so what did you do differently as you started moving into these longer distances? You know, I think, I think a couple of things happened. Um, you know, I, li- I like to say that it's, it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to run too much, right? And uh, most of us aren't, aren't running enough. If you talk about a need for cross training or, or stuff like that, you know, it's really hard to get to a point where um, your body can't handle the amount of mileage that you're, you're asking it to give. And of course, there, there is a limit, but, but most of us don't have the time and, and the patience to kind of to hit that. Um, and that's for a healthy runner, of course. Uh, and, and I think that what happened is when I was training for those first marathons, I was doing so much speed work and I was, I was kind of doing, uh, a lot of strength, you know, kind of speed and, and hill and strength work that I was beating my body up to a point where I didn't want to do all that much running, like as far as total miles went. And, um, and as a new runner jumping in without a lot of running, history and, and my body didn't know how to handle all that stuff. And I was all of a sudden just kind of throwing myself into it. Uh, I was having injuries a lot. I was, um, always sore. You know, I just, I remember that first training marathon training cycle every Monday when I would go to work, I would just wobble my way to work and, you know, it'd take two or three days for me to be able to, to walk right. And that was every single week. That wasn't after just a race or something like that, but I was just kind of putting myself through this, all the stress that I had never put it before, put it through before. And, uh, and my body just didn't handle it very well. And as I shifted to, as I stripped away some of, uh, some of the intensity and just started adding miles and building in, um, a little bit more volume, like everything just kind of seemed to fall into place. I just naturally got faster. I naturally handled the distance a lot better. I learned how to pace myself and, um, you know, and not kind of crash and bonk during those last several miles of a, of a marathon race. And so it just, it just all kind of fell into place and all even itself out. And of course, like, you know, if I was training for a marathon, I was getting back to doing some speed work and that kind of thing. And I think that that's super important really for ultra runners too, um, to have that variety, but, but it just, it, it kind of taking myself, removing myself from what I, the marathon training that I thought I should have, you know, because that's what like the elites were doing to just listening to my body and being able to say, okay, what I really need here is volume and not necessarily intensity so that I can get used to it. Then it it just kind of fell into place and and I was able to then run a lot faster. This is so widely applicable to not just ultra runners, but I would say even half marathoners and marathoners that the intensity of your training, the speed work and the pace of even your easy runs is not nearly as important as the total volume or your mileage of, of how much running you're doing. Um, you know, like I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, fist pumping over here, Doug, cause you know, what you <laughs> described is basically what most runners should do with their training, which mm-hmm. is cut out some of the intensity, make sure you're recovering properly, which means not running your runs so fast and then replacing right. that intensity with extra mileage. You know, I kind of think of mm-hmm. it as, if you were taking a pottery class and you wanted to build, you wanted to kind of sculpt this incredible vase 
the most important thing is that you have enough clay to make the vase. And then you kind of shape it into a general form. And then maybe you use some tools to fine tune that sculpture and make it look exactly the way that you want. Well, the tools that you're using, that that's your speed work. That's how you're fine tuning it. That's how you're getting the details. That's how you're, you're finalizing the vase. But your mileage or your volume or your endurance, that's how much clay you have. And that's the general shape that you're kind of putting it into with your hands before getting more specific, before getting more detailed with the tools. And we can't take a just ugly lump of clay and with a tiny knife, make it into a vase. We can't do that. In the same way right. as if you just had like a tiny, tiny piece of clay on your pottery wheel, you know, you're not really going to be able to do much with that. So we have to build the volume first and give you enough clay. We have to put it into a general shape first by building that endurance. And then, and only then can we fine tune it with those tools. That's, that is spot on. I love that analogy. I think that that's great. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's so true. And I think like what I was doing, even though I was following a plan, it was a plan that was way too advanced for me. And, uh, during those first couple of marathons and, um, you know, I was, I was just running every single run as hard as I could essentially, because that's what I thought the plan was telling me to do. And, and so I just was totally wiped out all the time and the volume was low and, uh, my long runs were just suffer fests because I was trying to go way too hard and, you know, I'd end up crawling my way back to the house at the end of each one. And, uh, it wasn't until I slowed it down and just ran for time and ran for, uh, for mileage to, to up that volume that, um, that things started, started coming together. I had to build that vase before I could fine tune it. I love it. Yeah. And how did that first 50 K go? I assume you actually finished, right? It wasn't like my first 50 K. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it actually it actually went pretty well. I um yeah, I did finish. I didn't get lost. It was uh it was in DC. It was the North Face Endurance Challenge 50K up uh in what is that? Great Falls. Uh and it it actually went really well. I I had a pretty good day. I had it it came together, you know, it was, it was the furthest I'd ever run. It was challenging and hard and you had your moments, of course, but um I finished that race just so excited to, to, to tackle another one. Yeah. That's, that's when you know, you've had a good race for sure. Yeah. definitely. Now give us an idea of, you know, what kind of mileage were you running when you were training for marathons? And then what kind of mileage were you running when you first started training for ultras? Cause it sounds like it went up, but it got slower. Is that right? Yes, definitely. Uh, you know, that's a great question and, um, I can't, tell you for certain, but it was probably around like 35 to 40 miles for the marathon and went up to a little over 50 miles, but slower for, for the ultra, uh, you know, during those beginning years. And, uh, and, you know, I, I don't, well, I'd have to go back and look for sure, but that, that's kind of what I, what I would assume that it was around. Um, and yeah, so just a, a little bit increase in mileage, certainly a lot increase in time because I was, I was running trails, I was running slower. And so my overall time on my feet was just significantly increased. Um, uh, and, and just those two things, just a little bit more miles and a lot more time just seemed to seem to really help. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think what runners who focus exclusively on mileage often miss is the fact that when you do run a lot slower, but then run more, 
you are spending so much more time on your feet that if you think about it in mm-hmm. terms of say, you know, uh, my heart rate is at a certain level for X amount of time, you know, you can have it be at a slightly higher heart rate for say an hour and maybe you've run eight miles, but maybe you want to run nine miles and you're going to do it substantially slower. Your heart rate is still going to be you know, it's not going to be substantially lower, but it's just going to feel a lot easier. And you might get another 10, 15, or maybe even 20 minutes of extra running in for the same distance and and with, or, or an extra mile. And what that does is that it really allows additional adaptations because you're just spending so much extra time running and, and being at that heart rate. And so, you know, it's kind of a, an easy way to improve. You know, I often say, most runners, their biggest limiting factor is their endurance. You know, all of us can run a six minute mile pace. It's just some people can only do it for maybe five seconds. So it's really about extending the time that we can run fast. And and that's an endurance issue. And and it seems like you found a a good way to really focus on it in a way that helped you stay healthy. Um, You also said that, you know, running maybe 50, 55, somewhere in there, that was in the early days of your ultra marathoning. Are you getting into higher mileage levels now? And I know that just to train for some of these hundred mile or even 24 hour races, you know, some of your, I don't want to call them tune up races, but maybe tune up long runs. have to be substantial. Yeah. Well, definitely. Um, you know, if, if we're a hundred miler, I'm going to have at least a few 12 plus hour days where I'm, you know, I'm trying to cover, around 50 miles or something like that. Um, you know, and that's, uh, that's, that's in the training. So those weeks and those, those days are obviously kind of peak, peak moments, um, and, in important parts of the training, but, but that doesn't mean that every weekend looks like that, right? I mean, even if you're training for a hundred miler, uh, you're not, you're not running 50 miles every weekend, you're running 18 miles, you know, it just, it's actually pretty similar to kind of your, your longer runs during a marathon training. Um, and, and then you just have these, these races or these kind of buildups that, that do increase a bit. So during my best hundred mile days, <laughs> a couple of years ago, pre-kid, uh, I was, I was running, you know, I would try to run 60 to 75 miles a week, except, you know, on a, and then, uh, if I had a race that might increase a little bit. Um, now it's, it's significantly lower than that. Now I've kind of have a, take a different approach to training than, than I ever had before. And I think it's working for me and I'm definitely happy to talk about that, but I don't know that it's the best way to train. So, um, it's good. I think if you're, if you're time limited and you're trying to do the type of runs that, that I'm doing. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I was kind of maxing out around 65 to 75 miles a week, most, most of the time. And, uh, I think it's important to note too, that, you know, as we're discussing, how important it is to run a lot. And that one of uh, the good ways to do that is to strip some intensity from your training, slow down, and then replace that intensity with volume. But that doesn't mean you're not doing any kind of faster running, right? I mean, what kind of workouts right, yeah. are you doing, you know, for the short distance ultra marathons? And, and are you doing any kind of speed work for say a hundred miler or a 24 hour race? Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, for a shorter distance, for a sh- shorter distance, 50 K or something like that, uh, speed work is, is a really integral part of, of that training, especially if you're going for any sort of time or a place or anything like that. So, um, you know, it's, it might not be 400s around a track or, or something like that, but, you know, mile or two mile, um, kind of tempo pace, uh, just some, some sort of 
longer distance speed work um, that you're you're adding in once a week, uh, lots of hill work, you know, and really charging those hills up and down. You know, part of it, part of being strong for an ultra marathon, especially one you know that's hilly or in the mountains, is is learning how to run downhill and run downhill well. Because as soon as your quads go out, then you're kind of screwed for the rest of the race. Um, and you know, so I'm I'm definitely doing some very focused high intensity training. Uh, both for a 50 K race, uh, but also certainly for, for a hundred mile race as well. Um, you know, even though a hundred miles is, you know, as a pretty snail's pace and depending on the race, but you know, it can be really slow and there can be lots of walking involved in that too. You still want to have, um, to stay healthy throughout all, through all the training, through all the volume, you still want to have the variety. You still want to introduce a little bit of higher intensity stuff so that, um, your body can handle that kind of distance and, 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 and be healthy throughout, throughout training. And of course, on race day too. Yeah. I think it's important to remember that, you know, speed work can actually make you stronger. Um, you know, you're right. undergoing a lot of extra stress, you're experiencing higher impact forces through your legs. And so it can certainly make you stronger if done strategically and in, in appropriate doses. Uh, but then I think, you know, the other great benefit of speed work is that it makes you into a much more efficient runner, uh, not just sure. kind of like your running form, you know, it certainly, uh, better reinforces more effective economical form than say running really slow. Uh, but it also metabolically makes you more efficient. You know, your, uh, your heart stroke volume and, and all those different metrics improve after some speed work. And, and it certainly makes those easier paces just from a perception of effort perspective feel a lot easier. So I'm glad you're doing yeah. some, some speed work because it's certainly, uh, you know, it, it kind of maintains a lot of fitness with, without a lot of effort. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, and on the flip side of that, uh, for some of the races, like, uh, I have a hundred miler coming up in, in May. Um, and it, it, it has about 28,000 feet of elevation gain. So a lot oh of big goodness, you know, mul <laughs> multiple thousand foot climbs. Right. So, you know, you might be doing a 4,000 climbing a 4,000 foot, you know, mountain all at once kind of thing. Um, so you, in, in that, in that situation, there's going to be a lot of hiking. There's just no, no matter what kind of shape you're in, there's going to be a lot of hiking and power hiking up. And, um, so kind of on the flip side of the, of the speed work, I'm also really focused right now on, on learning how to hike efficiently and hike, um, you know, with intention and with speed and, uh, you know, being able to, to sustain that for several thousand feet at a time and, uh, for several miles at a time. So, you know, the other day I went out and I ran a trail that's, that gains about 1500 feet in about a mile. And I just went up and down it. I hiked all the way up, ran as hard as I could all the way down, hiked all the way back up, did that like four times. And, and that was my workout And it, you know, it was only eight miles or something. Um, you know, but it was several thousand, you know, almost four and a half thousand feet of elevation gain. So it was just like, that's the kind of stuff that, um, depending on the type of race, you know, you have to be training for in a different way than, than just running. And you think running around in circles is boring. My God, Doug. <laughs> now, how long did that take you? It was about eight hours or I'm sorry, eight miles. Yeah. Eight miles. Oh man. Uh, I could look it up. Um, cause it was just two weeks ago. Uh, it was like two, two something hours. Yeah. Two hours and 15 minutes or something like that. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of gain for sure. Yeah. Uh, We've talked about so many different 
methods of training, ways of training. Is there any type of training that you wish you could do, but you can't? And and I'll just give you my personal uh, take on this. I wish I could run very high mileage, you know, 110, mm-hmm. 120 miles a week on trails for the most part. But, uh, you know, that would just make me so happy. And I know that, you know, I would be a much better runner had I been able to do that in the past. But, you know, I, I just wasn't really able yeah. to do that from a durability perspective. Yeah. I mean, so right now with with the way, with the phase of life that I'm in right now with, with work and, and with a daughter and, and the, you know, the things that my wife and I are trying to do, um, uh, really <laughs> the type of training I wish I could do is just more training, you know, like, like you're saying more miles, just more time, more days. Uh, I'm getting in probably, you know, 40 ish, 40 at a, on a good week, upper forties, um, miles per week. And that's, that's way back from what I used to do. You know, the, the key here, at least when it comes to, uh, you know, training for this, this race in May is, um, I, once a month, I'm having really big days. I'm going out and just, you know, going out for eight plus hours, trying to really get as much mile as I can once a month. And that's kind of the, the agreement that my wife and I have worked out and that, uh, that works for everybody, you know? So then on other weekends, my long runs are only maybe a couple hours, two and a half hours, something like that. Um, and so what do I wish I could do? I, w- I wish I had the ability to, to get back up to the higher miles that, that I used to run. Um, but I don't right now. And, you know, and that's okay. I've, I've, I've been able to find a, a kind of a training cycle that, that works pretty well for me with this kind of low mileage most weeks and then having really intense days um, once a month. And, you know, while I wouldn't recommend that for a lot of people, especially if you're training for your first ultra, um, you know, I just think that it's tough on your body to be able to kind of handle that big jumps. Um, you know, I, I know my body well enough now and, and I know that my body can handle those types of distances. So, you know, so it, I'm comfortable doing that. Um, but yeah, I wish I could, I wish I could get out more. I don't know about you, man, but, uh, a lot of my runs right now are in the dark, especially during the winter hours. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I was thinking this morning I was out on a trail and, um, you know, just this trail that I love and it has like awesome views and good overlooks. And, you know, it's five fifty in the morning when I, when I start the run and the whole thing is in the dark and, you know, I finished it up and I'm like, okay, that was a great run. And I was like, you know, it would have been a lot better had I been able to see something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, there was a phase in my life where I would do all of my running at 530 in the morning. And if I was lucky, if it was maybe a longer run, I would be able to see the sunrise at the very end <laughs> of the run. And and so that mm. was nice. But at the same time, it would have been nicer to have actual daylight for, for most of my <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, so it sounds like if if you could train more, uh, would like the total volume just be a little bit higher? And would you do one of those big days out in the mountains every weekend? Or would it be more like one of those big days, you know, every two weeks or or once every three weeks? How would that look? Yeah, I mean, it would still, no, I still wouldn't do eight hours every weekend. I mean, that just, uh, I wouldn't do that. Um, but it would be overall volume throughout the week would be a lot higher. And then long runs would, you know, go from two and a half to three hours to four and a half to five and a half hours. Um, you know, and that, that would kind of be the standard. And then I would still have every two or three, probably three weeks, I'd still have these kind of bigger weekends that, um, you know, where I was out there a lot longer, the miles were 
or bigger, maybe doing some back-to-backs on Saturday and Sunday, having, you know, five-hour runs both days kind of thing. Um, you know, that's that's the kind of plan that I used to be able to do. And, um, and you know, I'm sure I'll get back to someday. But, you know, and that's the kind of plan that I would like to, to do now if I had all the time and, and kind of the the willpower to do that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, really it's just, uh, it's, uh, it would kind of even itself out a little bit better than, than it is right now. Right. I, I think this episode of the strength running podcast has been a love letter to mileage and running <laughs> volume, and totally, volume yeah. which is fine with me. Yeah. Uh, and and I want to, I want to kind of clarify, I feel like I'm complaining about not being able to do that anymore, <laughs> which, which, uh, you know, I certainly feel that way a little bit, but you know, but I'm still getting so much out of my running and, and, um, you know, this is finding that balance, I think is super important for longevity and in, in running when, when you're not chasing a BQ or, or something that, um, you know, that isn't sustainable, uh, maybe long-term finding that balance that works for you where you can year after year go out and still do really fun races, go out and still have running be a big part of your life. Um, I think that's, that's super important. And that might mean that running looks a lot different than it did when you were chasing that BQ or when you were running your first 50 mile or something like that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's important to, to recognize that longevity in the sport and your progress over time and any improvement that you're looking for, you can't be hammering hard at that goal all the time. There has to be periods of time, you know, longer than a couple days or a week where you're either not running or your running isn't super structured or you're running lower volume than what you're usually used to. And those periods of unstructured time are just as important physically as they are mentally because it resets your motivation, your drive, your passion for the sport. And, and I think that is what is really important for long-term progress. It's to stay motivated and to stay engaged with the sport and to just, you know, every time that you have a an eight-hour long run in the mountains that you're actually excited to go do it. And, and I sure. think that's so important for 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 continuing to improve year after year after year. You can't just go hard all the time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Doug, final words of wisdom. What advice do you have to aspiring ultra runners who haven't yet crossed the finish line of their first ultra? Ah, that's a good one. Um, I mean, we, we kind of hit on a couple of the big ones, which was, you know, slow down and, you know, increase your mileage. Uh, but, the you know, part of what is really fun about ultra running, <laughs> what's really great about ultra running is how much fun people have doing it. It's, uh, it is a bit different of uh, an environment than, than a lot of, you know, big city road races where people are super hyper focused on pacing and um, and PRs and, and that kind of thing. You know, most people out there are just trying to finish and, and enjoy their enjoy themselves. Um, and if you can embrace that part of ultra running, then uh, then you're gonna you're just gonna fall in love with the sport because people are high fiving each other, people are cheering each other on. You know, they might want to strike up a conversation. You might spend the next hour kind of clogging along with somebody and, uh, and really kind of get to know them and have them be a big part of your, your race day experience. Um, and because it is just so long and because it's that much slower, you kind of are, you have the ability to, to have those types of experiences. So have fun with it, you know, enjoy your training, get out, do as much time on trails as you can, assuming it's a trail race that you're going for, uh, and come race day, you know, don't, don't take it too seriously, have a good time. And uh, always, always, always 
take care of any issue as soon as it pops up. That's always great advice. And (laughs) the the whole culture around ultra running, I, I will just say this, that um, even though I've only attempted one ultra, I've done a lot of trail races and they're very similar there. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll finish a trail race and I did one just this past year here in Colorado and it was only 12 miles, but you know, you're out there for a couple hours, uh, right. and at the finish line, it's just such a different vibe. No one's talking about their time. And, you know, I, I was like hanging out with, uh, you know, the, some of the leaders in the race, uh, Tim Olson, who is, you know, one of the best ultra runners in the United States is just hanging out with, you know, the commoners <laughs> like me and drinking. Yeah. A beer. And it's just a very wild experience compared yeah. to say the Brooklyn half marathon or, you know, the Chicago marathon, very different. And, and I would encourage anyone, even if you're not, uh, interested in doing an ultra marathon distance, get out and do a trail race and really kind of engage with the trail community because they're a lot of fun. They don't take themselves so seriously. And it's just a whole different experience that I think is a lot of fun and uh, a whole different vibe. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, uh, in a lot of big, you know, hundred mile races, the, the winners will stick around and watch you know, not just the next couple of people across the line, but then, you know, stick around for the next several hours and watch people check across the line. Or, you know, it's always a big thing in a hundred mile race to come back uh, and watch the last finishers come be right before the cutoff. Um, because there's, you know, there's typically quite a few people who are just chasing cutoffs the whole way and, and want to try to get in under 30 hours or whatever the cutoff is and, and whole big group of people come back and, and cheer those last people on. And I, you know, I bet that most, I bet that most elite runners in a, in a road marathon, uh, and even non elites, but you know, people who aren't worried about cutoffs, I'd say most of them have no idea when the cutoff is and you would never come back for, to watch the last finishers cross the line. It's just a different, it's a different experience. It's a different vibe. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not to say one's better than the other. Cause I love, I love focusing on, on splits too, and kind of getting in that competitive zone. Uh, but, uh, but it's, it can be a lot of fun. It can be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it just speaks to the variety that's inherent in distance running and how if you're bored with road races, you can do trail races and vice versa. Yeah. And there's so many different things to focus on that, you know, you can keep things fresh and exciting for years and even decades to come. That's what it's all about, right? Having fun and mixing it up. That makes yeah. you a better runner too. Like like we were saying, you know, if, if you're if you get into a trail phase and that's what you're really into and then you go back to the roads, I guarantee you'll be, a, you know, you might have to work on your speed a little bit, but you'll be a better runner because of it. Oh yeah. Fitness is fitness after all. All right, Doug, yeah. this was a lot of fun. Thanks as always for chatting with me and, and talking about probably your favorite subject yourself. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're able to learn from your experiences and uh, just hear how you were able to go from, you know, kind of a, run curious guy who signed up for a marathon on a whim after a couple of Shirley temples. And and now look at you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's been a lot of fun talking to you, Jason and, and, you know, and I hope that regardless of where you are in your running journey, like I hope that you're getting out and you're, you're pushing yourself in different ways and trying, trying new, new things that the sport has to offer. Hey, Jason, one more time. Thanks for listening. I really hope you got something valuable from this conversation. I've always thought that whether you're listening to a podcast, reading a book, taking a course, or even watching one of our own YouTube videos, that if you can learn just one or two things, even if they're minor, and actually apply them to your training, 
then you'll always be improving and striving toward your goals. Find Doug on social media at Rock Creek Runner and let him know you appreciate him coming on the Strength Running Podcast. And of course, a big thanks to Steady MD for supporting the show and to you for supporting our sponsors and making this whole thing possible. SteadyMD pairs you with a primary care doctor online who's always available via phone, text, video chat for all of your different needs. And they pair you with a doctor who's also a runner, who understands running. Go to SteadyMD.com strengthrunning to see what they've put together for you. I've seen Dr. Josh Emder, who's the main doctor for SteadyMD, several times now over the last six months or so, both here in Denver at my live podcast with Matt Fitzgerald and at an event just a few months ago with a bunch of local ultra runners. I'm always impressed by the fact that Josh is a runner like all of us, absolutely loves the trails and has committed himself to helping runners excel. I hope you'll check out all the details at steadymd.com strengthrunning to see how you can take your running to the next level. Thanks for listening, all. Until next time.